wonderful weather we've been having. <laughs> Welcome back to episode 177 of Motorsport 101. I'm your friendly neighbour host, Mr. Andre Harrison, and we're back for a heaped show where we talk all about Formula E in Santiago, Chile, um, where basically the track melted. It was fun. Um, and all hell broke loose on that one. Some, some big uh, talking point news in Formula 1 to get through as well as the race promoters have basically had enough, which I think is quite funny. Um, another successful win in Sebastian in the Rally of Monte Carlo. And the big one the is the Rolex 24 at Daytona. Oh, hang on. Sorry. I'm looking at this set list. The 24 has been crossed out for 23 hours and 50 minutes. Hmm. Wonder how that happened. <laughs> All of that and much more in the next, well, probably hour and a half or so. We say that, we're probably going to go about four hours now. Um, <laughs> I'm not taking any chances here this week. In the meantime, um, with me on this on this week's episode, as usual, Mr. Ryan King. Hello, sir. Yes, yes, glad to be here. It's been a long weekend, but glad to be here. King, can I, can I, can I ask you a question? Yes. What's up with your man's at the Pro Bowl? I'm um, trying to injure my beloved Pat Patriot mascot. Uh, <laughs> we gotta, gotta get our wins where we can get them. <laughs> What's it? Given, given it's America, I'm stunned he hasn't sued yet. Like, just got, just got completely tackled to the ground by a 230-pound NFL safety. As you do. <laughs> Don't watch the Pro Bowl, kids. Um, and in the blue corner, as always, representing Tennessee, Mr. RJ O'Connell. Hello, sir. Yes, um, thank you very much, everybody, who is listening to this during the big game. Yes, uh, we all know which game we're talking about, the one that we're, that uh, the NFL is too, uh, too poor for us to, uh, to be able to use their license uh, because they can't afford us. Uh, the big game. And, of course, I'm referring to the Puppy Bowl. Of course, the puppy bowl. Cats and Wentz, the boy. Uh, Cats and Wentz. They've been playing puppy bowl commercials on Sky Sports News. I was at work this morning, and we have Sky Sports News on all the time, because, hey, we're a bookies, what do you expect? And they actually were playing the puppy bowl adverts as NFL Super Bowl preview coverage. It was amazing. <laughs> I was like, what is this? This is adorable. <laughs> Across the board. Um... And we have another special guest with us, um, chipping in for the Rolex 24 section later on in the show. Krista Harday is back. Hello, sir. Freshly wrung out. <laughs> uh, I, I posted on Facebook yesterday that the best shower anyone in racing takes is the one after a 24-hour race, and I can confirm that that is indeed the case. If any of y'all are uh, planning on camping with a tent, um, make sure you find a place to take a shower, because uh, going a few days without a shower and just using some wet naps is not necessarily ideal. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like if you wanted to, if you wanted a shower at the Rolex 24, all you had to do was just wait till about uh, 
four o'clock in the morning. I gotta tell you, after. probably probably the best victory though. It wasn't by BMW. It wasn't by Lamborghini. It wasn't by Orica, and it wasn't by um, Wayne Taylor Racing. It was by me packing up all my tent <laughs> and all my caping equipment before it rained. Beautiful. That- Congratulations. We we couldn't get you a Rolex watch. We just bought like a cheap watch at like a like a Walmart or something. Can we? Can we, can but, we this one, but this one has a calculator. But this one has a calculator. I, and I didn't even need BOP. <laughs> no BOPD. Can we get a round of applause to Crystal Hardy for getting his camping gear cleared up before the rain came down? That's uh, that's that, 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 that's a world class W right there. Magnificent uh, camping there from our man C the Hardy. Um, Not yeah. a world class W series though. Mm, mm. More on that later on in the show. But some general housekeeping to get out of the way and some fun news if you haven't seen it on our social media already. Um, but basically, you can find us real quick. YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. There may be a comeback by yours truly planned in the next couple of weeks. Stay tuned on that. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to search out decent webcams as we speak. Just throwing that out there. We're on Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. And if you'd like to follow our handles personally, you can. At Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King, at RJ O'Connell, and at C the Hard A. And oh, Chris, tell them about your YouTube channel real quick while you're here. Thank you. Uh, so I just launched a YouTube channel last week. I did a preview video for the Rolex 24. Um, I'm planning on doing some more IndyCar Road to Indy stuff as well as some IMSA stuff here and there. I would have done some more stuff from uh, the Rolex 24, but unfortunately I couldn't um, get permission to put everything up on my own YouTube channel. But hey, that's why I have the rest of the season. It's going to be a lot of fun. Previews, reviews, driver um, features, uh, opinions, hot takes, maybe some wacky stuff. Who knows? But uh, yeah, uh, just search my name, Christopher DeHarty, and uh, I'll be posting some cool stuff there for the uh, rest of the year. We joke on him a lot, but Chris is seriously one of the best in the business at this. He gets everywhere. He's at every Grand Prix. He he's, he he has many a story, and has a lot of character. He's a very ideal fit for a kind of a niche space. There's not a lot of people who do IndyCar full time on YouTube in general. So hey, go over there and subscribe and tell them we sent you. Um, that, so that'd be awesome. Give him a little Motorsport 101 bump on our behalf if you don't mind. Right. Uh, also, we are on Patreon if you'd like to back us financially. If you really really like us. Thanks once again to everybody who we, we we actually had the receipt come through for another year of SoundCloud Pro yesterday, paid for by you the fans. So thank you to everyone who's backed us financially you on Patreon. Yes, they did that. What the hell were you thinking? Um, but uh, yes, uh, another year of SoundCloud sorted out on Motorsport 101. Thank you very much for all you guys who backed us financially on Patreon, as well as guys who were bumping the pictures up. Like, shout out to Vic who... Um, who's been a long-time fan for ages and has, and has actually now become a $10 patron as well. So thank you very much for that. Rezzy Rispati, who upped his pledge to 10 bucks, and Joset Torres as well. Thank you all so much. One of the biggest bump-ups we've ever had in a week of backing. So thank you all so much for, um, for backing us financially on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. $5 gets you early access to both this show and our sister show, Bike Live, which is back for 2019. It's first episode. Yeah. Episode 91 went live this past. Sunday, 
and is well it's a basically it's a bit of a catch-up show we catch up on all the news in bike racing over the christmas period it's our first show in a month so we're talking the honda launch and uh, jorge lorenzo basically trying to play nice with mark marquez um in the middle of a honda launch we'll see how long that lasts <laughs> um as well as ducati unveiling their new bike um the, the gp19 which god i love the livery on that the, 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 that red is so rich um it's it's it's, it's beautiful um also if you haven't seen the photos go out of your way to do it please get you a partner who looks at you in the same way the Nino Petrucci looks at riding a factory Ducati he's the happiest man on <laughs> earth it is adorable um <laughs> you notice he's probably only going to be there for a year but he's so happy just to be there it's fantastic all of that the uh, um uh, all the entry lists for world super sport um and super sport 300 which by the way the 300 category over 50 entries this year that's going to be carnage <laughs> more on that um on the show itself and a big thank you to danny pedrosa we have a full danny pedrosa career retrospective in the second half of the show as well the uh, little samurai who could um his injuries um his adversity his his rise to fame through the classes that race in esteril um and some of his most marquee moments in a glittering career one of the true greats of moto gp in the last 15 20 years if you haven't seen it already episode 91 of bike life thank you danny is now up and available for your listening pleasure where all good podcasts are available dot 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 including spotify we are now on spotify as well officially um shout out to all you guys doing the lord's work who were sneakily downloading episodes and sticking it on there manually anyway like it's an actual song that's really cute of you to try and spread the word like that but so we are now officially on spotify itself they have a new podcast beta and we are now a part of it so um you can listen to motorsport 101 on spotify if that's your music slash audio uh player of choice you, you, you can now sort of figure now follow us on there as well as you, you get the exact same time that everybody else does it's the same rss feed so you get like you get it on spotify exactly the same time everybody else does so if you're on spotify give us a follow and you, you can listen into all these shows as they go live at the exact same time it goes live on soundcloud itunes and where all good podcasts are available and you can check out all of that as well on motorsport101.com that's keeping out of the way. Let's get into the show itself. And after this week's musical interlude, we'll talk about Formula E in Santiago. Antofagasta Minerals. Had to get the sponsor in, didn't you, RJ? It's just so fun to say. Just like, uh, just like a, a park <laughs> Bernardo O'Higgins. To, uh, I wanted to make out who that was, but like King was basically too busy like laughing through half the pronunciation. It was great. <laughs> yes, the uh, go on, RJ. Give us the full name. Ah, uh, yes, this is officially the 2019 ABB FIA Formula E. Antofagasta Minerals, Santiago E. Prix. 
Oh, that's just I could I could say it. Antofagasta with Kerbagajanian. Very good, very good. Um, Boy, where do you start on this weekend? I mean, this was a much hyped up um, E3 in that sense, and um, who boy, Uh, we had we had drama right from qualifying. Um, Oh, even you could could even go for that in that free practice. uh, We had a free practice wreck with Sebastian Buemi in there, and uh, we had the first real test of how fast can you rebuild a Formula E car. Turns out the answer is a couple of hours. Um, so well done, Nissan, on that front. Um, yeah, they, they improved a lot since Montreal two years ago. No kidding. <laughs> um, so yeah, they've clearly been working on this just in case. Um, I think I think it was FP two. Oh, um, that uh, Buemi uh, binned it on that one to completely wreck the front of the car. Had to rebuild yeah. the whole thing, and they did it in two hours. Um, impressive Pretty- work, Nissan. Yeah, per the uh, Wikipedia uh, race entry, it says uh, free practice one was halted midway by a red flag after he crashed by Sebastian Buemi. So this was an FP one. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and I think FP two was only about two hours after FP one finished. So they they were able to get the car completely replaced and turned over, before, without losing any significant track time, which is quite the impressive feat in itself. So well done, Nissan, on that one. Pats on the backs to you. Um, we, we got qualifying itself, um, again, a, a, a pretty fun session in the end, but, uh, in the Super Bowl, uh, we, we had, uh, Buemi, Verline, Apt, um, Bert and Degrassi, but the problem was, was that, hey, Degrassi stuck it on pole, but, <laughs> or so we thought, just when you thought Audi couldn't go a season about some sort of crazy penalty, <laughs> here we go again, folks, although this time, this one was less on Audi and more on Lucas Degrassi, right, King? Yep, 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 and man, I, <laughs> I I don't know why we've gotten to the point where it's like the drivers should know the rules by now. <laughs> man, first he drops that race in uh, Mexico to Enzo Benito, and now this happens. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like by the way, Lucas wasn't salty about that defeat at the race of champions at all. Yeah, he wasn't salty by losing to a quote-unquote fake racing driver. Did, did he actually say fake racing driver? I don't know, but that sounds about right by this point. And I, mm. I love the, the the day before he said that he was looking forward to his easy day tomorrow. <laughs> oh lord, Schadenfreude! <laughs> Drop the race to sim racer Enzo Benito. Freuda as they would say. But yeah, he was excluded from qualifying due to a uh, new rule they were told about a week before the pre. I believe it was something along the lines of having, like, you can only use your brakes so much on an in-lap, King? Yeah, so you have to brake in the same way that you do on your flying laps during your in-lap. Right. And... Like, they do it to avoid damage to the to the brakes. So, you know, if you're driving slower, you're probably going to be coasting a lot more not using the brakes at all. Right, right. So, this is basically like a safety regulation in that sense. And if you break that, you're going to get the book thrown at you. And that's what happened with Lucas. He was disqualified from... Qual- well, should I say excluded from qualifying for breaking the slow in-lap rule. Did anybody see his pre-race interview with Nikki Shields about this on the grid? <laughs> uh, no, I did not see that. <laughs> oh, I did. He was pissed. <laughs> he, I think he said he called it, and like, what, the stupidest rule in the history of motorsport. 
Yeah, oh, I did from, see that clip. I did yeah. see that clip. Yeah, the monolith has it quoted as Degrassi. Formula E must change, quote, very stupid, end quote, break rule. Yeah. Said it was the stupidest rule in the history of motorsport. And, uh... And, like, the the fact of the matter is, Formula E didn't make this rule out of the blue. It was suggested by Spark, the chassis manufacturer, to make this rule because it would damage the cars otherwise. Right, like I said, it's it's literally a safety regulation. You can't break shit like that. You just can't. It's, it's a very important rule, and is there for a reason. It's to protect you, Lucas. You're not above the rules, mate. Um, so, yeah, he was demoted all the way to the back of the field, which promoted Sebastian Buemi up to pole position in the end, with Pascal Verlan on the front row ahead of Daniel Apt. And, of course, that means Buemi got the free bonus points for pole position. Um, remember that. It becomes important later. Meanwhile, if you're wondering where your points leader is, Jerome D'Ambrosio, he's not in the first two rows. He's all the way back in 20th. Oh, God. Where, where's our defending series champion, John Eric Verne? Um, he's all the way down there in uh, 12th. Oh, God. Which, which ain't good either. Yeah, yeah, Vern had another rant about the uh, the qualifying rule. Um, like, you know, we've all seen it. It's like, like you know, you rant about the qualifying rule. Cause it, okay, we all kind of know that whoever runs last has, you know, the best track conditions. There's, there's no real nice way of doing this. Because you just can't have 20 cars doing hot laps at the same time on a track that small. But, um, yeah, another rant about that. But it's, uh, as you'll see as, the, as we get into the race itself, it was not a good day for pretty much every major title contender who doesn't have wings. You'll see what I mean later. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, more on that in a bit. But, yeah, race got underway. So, um, Buemi you know, had the early lead going in. That, that was, like, the first major flashpoint of the race. Buemi was leading, but he couldn't get away from the chasing pack of Pascal Verline and Sam Bird, who was following along for the ride. A couple of attack modes get used, um, which was the outside of turn three this time was where the attack mode zone was. Um, and, yeah, Buemi makes a small mistake on the chicane and puts it in the wall. And uh, yeah. cue the Buemi bottle jokes on Twitter. It's, it's, it's that time <laughs> of year again, folks. You've been waiting for it. <laughs> There it is. Now it's in. Now it's in Nissan colors. <laughs> Sigh. Uh, come on, you're you're not living up to the Swiss cyborg nickname if you're if you're gonna make uncyborg like moves like that. And he wasn't alone. To be fair, this race had a whopping uh, eight retirements. Yeah, like a forty percent of the field did not see the checkered flag on this one, and Wemmy was a. Uh, Buemi was one of them. Um, that was the first real major flashpoint of the race. Uh, Buemi uh, sticking it in the wall, the second major crash of the day um, in that one, and that would that would ruin his race. He was, his car was unable to continue, and that was the end of that. And that put, uh, temporarily, Pascal Verlein in the lead of the race. But uh, Sam Bird, who, who was in attack mode at the time, found a way around him into turn one, and... Bird basically stuck it out the rest of the way from there. Um, he had to really grind. Yeah, pretty much like they they had a really close fight for a long time, but Bird was like, "Hey, new kid, move over." <laughs> it's like, "Get out of the way, new boy." 
Oh dear. Also, my headphone just exploded because uh, somebody just donated 200 euros on Jimmer's stream. God damn him. Lucky, <laughs> lucky bastard. Um, congrats on 200 Ks, Jimmer. You're a good dude. Um, <laughs> but yes, uh, it, it was a proper scrap. And like I have to say, like yeah, Verline, probably driver of the day in all of this, in, in all of this mayhem. We know about Bird's expected quality. Verline, we all know he was kind of shafted in Marrakesh shooting grassy um, off the start line. This was right. his first real proper Formula E race. And man, was he fantastic. <sighs> yeah, guy was good. Um, I, I have a feeling I know why he was upset in, in uh, Marrakesh. Is because he probably felt like he could have won that race, especially considering Jerome turned out to win the thing. Uh, as it turns out, yeah. Pascal Verline is going to be very good at this. Mahindra are a very good team. Um, Sam Byrne, by the way, is the first driver to win a race in all five seasons of Formula E competition. The only one. The only one so far. The Yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure the only other driver that could do that is Lucas. Yeah, because Blemmy didn't win last year. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed, um, yeah. So when we have got to what I'm, I'm, sh- I'm, sh- I'm sure the grassy will probably sneak one in at some point. Audi are still pretty solid. I mean, uh, we got one that you got the other car on the podium, but uh, more on that in a little bit. But uh, yeah, Bird held off uh, Pascal Verlaine and Verline. He was very close with about two laps to go. He was looking and looking and looking for a way around, couldn't do it. And I think Gill on the radio basically told Pascal, "Bring the 18 points home, son." basically it's like it's not worth it because his car was starting to quite badly overheat this was the hottest formula e race ever 36 degrees celsius um by the time we got to the race itself um so uh, a, a lot of extreme temperature management going on on this one so uh yeah verline had to had to slow it right the way down by the end um, <laughs> I, I can't remember what else. How much is that in front? I think that's about ninety-two. I want to see 96. ninety-six, even more. Yeah, it's it's ninety-six, ninety-seven degrees. Yeesh. Um, that that's a hot boy. Um, so yeah, Verline's car was overheating quite badly at the end, and he had to kind of rein it in just to save the car and limp it home. Lived the fight another day, but uh, that was anything to go by. Pascal was going to be uh, very good at this for quite some time, um, and he, he, you could tell he was mad. He, he he couldn't find a way around for the win, but that I think a lot of that was down to the track itself, King. I mean, it, by the time you were half distance, if you weren't on the racing line, you were basically boned. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much, because uh, the racing surface was surprisingly bad for reasons that you would kind of understand, where obviously it's hot, but Mm. uh, unlike a Formula 1, even a Formula 1 street circuit, at this track, the trees are pretty much overhanging the track, and just leaves everywhere. We had like a full bush on the track at one point, which I I thought was quite funny, and no matter... (laughs) And by the second half of the race, the amount of marble pickup and literally, Vern took a picture of it. The track was literally disintegrating off the racing line. Um, and yeah, it, so yeah, combine that with there is no grip anywhere. It's like it's either the track's falling apart or the track is covered in foliage. Yeah, and we had a lot of carnage as a result of this. 
Um, we, we, you know, it got to a point where you literally could not pass somebody without making contact. Like, yeah. you, 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 <laughs> Felipe Massa, for instance, Felipe Massa got shoved in the wall by Oliver Rowland, and that effectively ended Massa's race. Oliver mm. Rowland's race also coincidentally ended with a collision with five laps to go in the wall. Um, <laughs> He parked it. Stoffel Van Dorn lost control on the apex of turn two, and he put it in the fence. Oh, my God. He was up. Like, it, it seemed like HWA was finally going to have a good weekend. Stoffel, no. I think, was running P5 when he hit that wall. Yes. Um, so after all the bad luck, and by the way, the standout fan boost leader of the season so far, uh, Van Dorn is getting all the sympathy votes from, from, from the F1 media. And uh, for the third time in a row, it means squat. As Van Dorn this time made an error and put it in the wall from from fifth uh, on the road at the time, which is a, a real shame because he was having a fantastic race until then, was held off a lot of strong cars behind him. We also had, I mean, the, like I mentioned before, the race-winning overtake from Bird on Verline when Bird was in attack mode and Verline wasn't. Before that overtake, the corner before the final hairpin, Bird bumps Verline enough where it actually cracks the lens of the onboard nose cam. Um, yep. So, like, basically, Bird nudged Verline off the apex and then passed him a corner later. Lucas Degrassi basically went for the reverse mount. Um, I think I wanted to tee cheaters. Um, in that race, he was given a substantial time penalty after the race. I don't know what took the stewards a goddamn long, to be honest with you. Um, but uh, it was—it was—I believe it was a drive-through penalty, which was then converted into a time penalty because he didn't have time to serve yeah, it. Yeah, I know he was under investigation also for cutting one of the chicanes early in the race. Yeah, it was a bit of a shit boy weekend for uh, for for Lucas on this one. Just completely crapped the bed um, in every sense of the term. Um, not a good weekend for Lucas at all. He ended up finishing outside of the points. Um, so yeah, not a good weekend for the grassy. There was a bump there, and there was a king. I call this the phantom crash between uh, Alex Sims and Odara Motara. Um, there was an incident in the, in the middle chicane where all of a sudden the camera, the hard camera, cuts to Motara getting spun around on the exit of the chicane. I've watched this about 10 times, King. I'm still not sure Sims actually touches him. <laughs> no, I don't think there was contact. Just, like, kind of like that cinematic trick like trickery that, you know, that they use in movies where they have pulled punches. Yeah. It kind of played off like that, where it's like, you see Sims' car come right after, after the spin, so you just assume they made contact. Yeah, I'm watching the, uh, the race highlights in slow motion, and they've got this on replay, and... Oh my goodness, if it's close, it's so close, I I don't know, from the angle over the top, I don't know, if he does, if it doesn't touch it, it's a slight touch at worst, or Mortara loses it on his own at best. It's... Either way, Sims wasn't happy because it took him off the podium. Yeah, Sims finished yeah. third on the road, he was given a, t- a, a time penalty... After the after the flag for that contact on Mortara, I put in, I put contact in inverted commas here um, on Mortara. He was demoted to seventh as a result of that, which put Daniel Apt on the podium for the Audi Sport team in third. He also got a bonus point for fastest lap of the race as well, a one eleven point two. Um, so yeah, Sims was demoted, Degrassi was demoted, and I think Jerome D'Ambrosio was as well for speeding under yellow. Um, so. 
he was demoted at, I think, I think from an eighth to tenth as well. So there was there was post race penalties out the wazoo, and we also but, got... yeah. But let, let's go back, mm. like, uh, like we we that's questionable co- contact. But like Degrassi thinks so like, oh, if you think that's contact, you haven't seen contact yet. <laughs> Oh, like, dear. poor Jose Maria Lopez. Lopez got completely obliterated by the grassy. Like, he still came back to finish ninth. And that was hilarious. <laughs> also, I love that one point on commentary, Jack Nichols thought that wasn't a penalty. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Jack, are you high? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, 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 honestly, like, okay. Because that's the thing, right? I was watching the live stream of the race on YouTube because it's not geoblocked in here. Anyone who watched the Will and E uh, Ali Age right watch along version is crazy. Um, but uh, I watched the actual stream there, and like, I love Jack Nichols and Dario Franchitti. They can be quite clear; they are a fantastic commentary pairing. Jack Nichols kind of lost his mind at the end of the race. It was actually quite the funny. Just like uh, I, I, I was watching it with my, with my brother, and I just said in the background, "It's like Ryan Jack Nichols is way off script right now." Um, <laughs> Somebody has passed him the THC gummies. Yep, yep, yep. He's just saying, like you know, well, I, I think, I think if you want all this close racing, you can't be giving out penalties left, right, and center after the fact. And he kind of said, "Well, that's not a penalty." When, when he was talking about Mortara and, and Sims. And to be fair, I think he kind of said it because Dario was no longer in the in the box because Dario was a lot Dario was a lot harsher on driver transgressions than Nichols is, and Dario would have gone off to do like post race interviews, but Nichols was in the box just with him and Bob Varsha in there, um, and yeah, Jack kind of went off on one. It was like if if you have not seen the full race stream on Formula E's YouTube channel, go back and find it. And watch about ten minutes after the race finishes. It's actually quite funny just seeing like like the unhinged, the red mist come down on Nichols, saying, "Oh, that wasn't really a penalty." And then he even tried to tried to clear, but like the Grassi Lopez incident wasn't really a penalty. And I'm like, "Come on, that <laughs> Jack, that's a slam dunk penalty every single time in any form of motorsport." He literally gave him the reverse mount. I mean, he slid underneath the back of Lopez's car. I mean, he got it completely wrong. And, like, I don't totally blame Lucas on that because the track was virtually impossible to overtake round in the second half of the race due to the nature of the track disintegrating in the poor conditions. But, no, you can't do that. Oh, dear. It, it, it did make for a funny rant, though. I'm not even going to lie. It, it, it was hilarious and entertaining and all that good stuff. So more of that, Jack, if you're listening. Uh, if he follows me on Twitter, so he might actually be listening to this. Hi, Jack. Love your work. Um, <laughs> um, so let's see if we can break down the full results and try and unjumble this mess. Samba did actually win it in the end, even though, again, after the race, he was investigated for his car being underweight and we were all just going, oh, no. <laughs> But turns out his car was in the clear, so he kept his win. Hooray! Hooray! So, Sam Bird wins. We didn't get an underweight post-race penalty. Jerome D'Ambrosio didn't suddenly just win the race after the flags dropped. Um, Bird actually got to keep the win. Everybody breathed a very... Bird up! Bird up. The bird is the word indeed. Um, <laughs> Sam Bird wins by 6.4 seconds from Pascal Verline in second. Um, Daniel Apt, as mentioned, in third, plus the bonus point for fastest lap, so 16 points for Daniel Apt in the end. Odora Mutara, who was through the wars and spun, came back to finish in fourth after other guys got demoted. 
Hilarious. Um, Robin Frins, then fifth in the second Envision Virgin racing car, ahead of RJ. That's Brad! Or else my brother has a new hilarious nickname for him after all the talking game and about microtransactions, he now nicknames Mitch Evans Free to Play. <laughs> free to Play Evans in sixth place for Jaguar Racing. <laughs> free to play I love that nickname. I was like, I actually gave him a fist bump for that one. I was very proud of him. He's learning from the best. Um, <laughs> free to play Evans in sixth. Alex Sims demoted to seventh from third after his time penalty after the flag. Oliver Turvey um, was in eighth for the Neo team there. Her head of Jose Maria Lopez, who is still recovering from a uh, surprise mountain from Lucas Degrassi in ninth. And Jerome D'Ambrosio, as mentioned, was caught speeding under full course yellow. He ended up having a five-second time penalty, which dropped him from eighth to tenth. Nelson Piquet Jr. was 11th for Jaguar. Uh, ahead of Lucas Degrassi after penalties in 12th. Andre Lotterer, yes, the first GT to in 13th place. Don't ask me how that happened either. Um, and Gary Paffitt, last of the finishers, a lap down in 14th place. As mentioned earlier, eight DNFs in this one. Oliver Rowland stacked it. Felix Da Costa, I want to say that was technical. Hydraulics. Hydraulics. Yeah, hydraulics. His second retirement of the season after winning the opener regard. Sigh. John Eric Verne, I want to say, was technical as well. Um, I think he just parked yeah, it. A technical failure. Uh, Blemmies is officially listed as suspension, but stacked it. Stacked it. Stoffel Van Dorn, stacked it. Max Gunther, battery died. Oh, and I'm pretty sure Gunther was running like seventh at the time as well. <laughs> oh, that was a sad one for, for Max. He was having his best weekend in Formula E to date. Felipe Massa, uh, wrecked by Roland. Um, and Dillman, again, technical on that one. I don't know what the official reason was on that one, but yeah, Dillman out as well. Um, so yeah, only 14. Um, out of the 22 runners actually made the flag in the end in one of the most hectic Formula E races of the season so far. Championship standings off the three rounds, and as mentioned, it was a bad day for some of the main contenders, so it's a very different-looking leaderboard now. But it's kind of a familiar face on top. Sam Bird, top of the championship now with 43 points after a very successful weekend. And the tables have turned for one Jerome D'Ambrosio after winning in Marrakesh. Only one point for 10th this time around. He drops to second on 41 points. Yeah. If not for the penalty, it would have been D'Ambrosio on top at 44 over Bird at 43. Indeed. Um, the Costa drops all the way down to third now. He hasn't not scored since that pole and win on the opening round. Um, he's on 28, joint third with Robin Frins, who's also on 28, and John Eric Verne, who's also on 28 uh, in the battle for third. Ahead of free-to-play Mitch in 20, 22 points in sixth. Daniel Lapt in seventh for 21. Andre Lotterer on 19. Verline all the way up into the top half of the board with 18 points after his uh, second place. Tied with Alex Sims, who really should have a lot more than 18 points by now, but... Uh, uh, BMW Andretti, it's a sad time. Buemi with 15 points there, only three for his pole position in the end after the after the Degrassi's exclusion. Uh, Mortara with 12 and Degrassi in with nine points. 
Um, team standings half after three rounds, and as it loads up on my screen here, and Envision Virgin Racing with 71 points. They now have a 12-point lead over Mahindra, over Mahindra Racing on 59. DST Cheetah with 47 points in third, a point ahead of uh, BMW Andretti on 46. And the Audi Sport team rounds off the top five with 30. We are back on Valentine's Day weekend, um, February 16th in Mexico City, which is which always produces um, entertaining shit shows. So that should be a fun one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what else are you going to watch that weekend in the middle of February? <laughs> the Daytona Speed Weeks? <laughs> that would be silly. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> As you do. But, uh, King, I know you just watched it late. What did you make of that, then? Uh, no, I actually watched it live. I, I just had to go through it again because of what we're going to talk about later. I completely forgot what happened in the Formula <laughs> E race. He had to remind himself. <laughs> it I was got great the gist race. of it from the highlights. Yeah, it was it was wild. Yeah, it was it a was great race. It, it, it kind of lives up to the highest standard of racing that we have for Formula E at this point. Define what you mean by high standard. <laughs> Well, uh, spectacular shit shows where it's like, uh, pretty much these are most likely due to high torque and poor track conditions, the most difficult racing cars in the world to drive. Uh, so we get some shenanigans that we don't see in other series. Very true, very true. What do you make of that one, RJ, then, before we move on quickly? Um, I, I come away with it with about the same as king it was uh it was a, a little messy but um it was obviously great to see bird win another race and Fairline finally get a great result after what happened with him in marrakesh um i'm very much looking forward to see what the end of the latin american excursion brings in la ciudad Oof, indeed should be fun indeed again as mentioned we're back valentine's day weekend february 16th at mexico city more on that then. Should we get into the quite big F1 piece of news that uh, has been hanging over our heads for the last couple of days? Oh, God. I, I, I'm just, just looking at this release in front of me, and it's like, it's reached this point now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Here we go. Now, see, here's the thing, folks. Um, we're not addressing the F1 could be sold rumor because it was precisely that. Um, we are talking about the F1 promoters. Um, 16 of the 21 race promoters came together earlier this week at the time of recording and produced a statement, uh, um, which, let's be real here, was quite critical of Liberty Media's current approach um, when it comes to Formula 1 King. Yes, it was... Mm. Actually, let me try to pull it up. Give me one second so I, I can read I've, it verbatim. I think I've got it up here. There are at least uh, there are three key bullet mm. points. Uh, the race organizer said, first bullet point, it is not in the long-term interest of the sport, Formula One, that fans lose free access to content and broadcasting. Second bullet point, there is lack of clarity on new initiatives in F1 and a lack of engagement with promoters on their implementation. Third, new races should not be introduced to the detriment of existing events, although the association is encouraged by the alternative business models being offered to prospective venues. 
Whew. And it's... Whew. How, how to explain this? Uh, I, it's not all the team promoters, because all the team promoters are not a part of the Formula One Promoters Association. Uh, most notably, two other promoters have put out statements in support of Liberty, most notably the uh, Russian Grand Prix promoter mm. and the Mexican Grand Prix promoter. And it should also be noted that the current chairman of the Formula One Promoters Association is also the promoter of the British Grand Prix. Mm. <laughs> that's a raised eyebrow right there, isn't it? It's like, oh, the British Grand Prix, the, uh, the, one, that's the, the one that's on the brink of disaster. Yeah, that one. Oh, boy. Uh, I mean, where do you start on this one here? I mean, listen, this, this, like, like this... I mean, I guess we could start with point one. I mean, again, as mentioned, this is 16 of the 21 promoters that are in this group. Um, so you're looking at, what, about 80% of the calendar, more or less. And Yeah, because I think uh, the Promoters Association was made around... Uh, 2010 or 2012 so the promoters who aren't a part of the association joined F1 after that point right cool so again it's the vast majority of the calendar right so they again the first point says it is not in the long term interest of the sport that fans lose free access to content and broadcasting now I would argue that one I completely agree with this point and second of all this might be the biggest problem F1 will face going forward for the next few years, I'd argue. This is a biggie. And, like, I don't know about you guys, because obviously I'm, being, I'm the only British guy who's on this show regularly. And, <laughs> like, I don't know how much this is just down to us Brits being spoilt for a many a long time, because we've, like, we've had every race and full coverage. Um... I almost got put off because United have come back from 2 0 down to equalise in the 93rd minute against Burnley. What the fuck is going on with United? Um, I don't even know. But, um, <laughs> yeah, what I was saying is that we've been spoiled. I think we had full coverage, I think, in 97 on ITV. And that was up until 2008. Um, 2009, BBC picked up the rights. Yeah, we all fell in love with Jake Humphrey as an anchor. Remember him? <laughs> He's now on BT Sport these days doing the Lord's work. Um,. That was up until 2012. 2013 was when Sky Sports F1 launched, and they were running alongside the BBC for a year. Um, and then um, after that, basically BBC, we're like, we're like, we're like oh, we're only going to do half the races live, half will just be highlights, and then Sky became the exclusive live rights holder for all of F1 races, and they basically yeah, effective, effective this, year. this year. And this, this, this season coming up will be the first year where Sky exclusively have every single race on its platform live um channel 4 will still get the british grand prix um that is british that is government law in this country i think only three events in this country um it has to be free to wear um king i know you're quite an anglophile can you guess the other two? Ooh, so are they are they national events in britain or are they international events um one of each one of each, so I assume it would have to be uh, the Olympic Games and no. the F. Oh, so I assume it's the World Cup and the FA Cup final. You got one right. One of them is the FA Cup final. I'm guessing the other is a Wimbledon final of some sort. 
Spot on. Yeah, RJ's right. Okay. The other one is the is the Wimbledon tennis final. By government law, those are the three events in this country that have to be on free-to-air television. The British Grand Prix, the FA Cup final, and the Wimbledon final. Um, final okay, that, that, that makes sense because all of them will always take place in Britain. Precisely. So, yeah. From a British standpoint, we've been spoilt for years. We've had over 20 years of free-to-air Formula 1 on TV. And well, this will be the first year it's virtually entirely behind the paywall um and good lord i mean for those of us who don't know in this country sky sports f1 is not cheap um if you if you get sorry sky have a deal now where you can get just one channel that's 18 quid a month uh yeah for one channel if you want one sky sports channel is 18 quid a month, which works out, I want to say, something like 22 bucks. Um, something like that, if my maths is roughly right. Um, but yeah, it's it ain't cheap. And I think, I said it before, I think it's going to be one of the biggest problems that F1's going to face going forward. is Because it, it, it's obvious, like, the sport is, is leaning more towards cable television and paywall TV. We saw what happened when France and China went to, went, went to pay TV channels. I think over 50 million people stopped watching. I think that was in 2013. Yeah, um, and, to, and to be clear, this was not a deal that was inked out under Liberty. This was one of the last things that happened under Bernie Ecclestone's watch as the head of the sport. This deal was done. The exclusivity was hammered out in March of 2016 when Nico Rosberg was still an active driver. And world champion. <laughs> yeah, because I don't know. It... it it came at this weird period of time before F1 TV was even a thought in any fan's mind that it was always like this pipe dream out there. Yeah. And that's crazy to think because that was literally less than three years ago. Dude, that was before I was even on this show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very good point. That is a very good point. Um, and now, of course, the trouble is now that you have all this uh, extra content on pay tv and you're getting all this money from pay tv you know are they really gonna want to give all that money up by going free to air but know. like from the fans perspective you don't get much from sky sports f1 besides you know, race besides just session coverage and like the f1 show which is also basically just session coverage you get no extra content on top of that what you mean i'm not paying good money for natalie pinkham's takes Never. <laughs> um, <laughs> I realize you're gonna especially take it. like uh, here in the U.S. Free to air TV is a bit complicated because we only have like four or five technically free to air channels, mm -hmm. and uh, basically that's always supplemented by basic cable. And essentially, uh, the stat the slate of channels that show sports on basic cable have always generally tend to be like. Uh, the Turner chan channel, so like uh, TBS, TNN, and uh, the ESPN channels. And you could still access those for pretty cheaply. You could access that through YouTube TV for 10 bucks a month. Yikes, that it? It's almost like a Netflix subscription. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is convoluted, but I mean... King, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I saw another example. It's MotoGP. I'll give you another example real quick before it comes to British TV because it used to be, you like they didn't really care about the support classes so much, but the main race was always live on BBC on, on the BBC. 
Um, and they were getting about a million viewers in a race on the BBC when it was Charlie Cox, Steve Parrish, Matt Roberts, Azzy Farney doing all the coverage. Um, then it went to BT Sport, in, I think, in 2014, and their viewership went down to, like, 200,000 a race. Like... Yeah, that's, that's like, not surprising at all, because just sheer numbers. Because, uh... What what the broadcast what like what Formula One hedges on that they'll get some percentage of fans to cross over. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's but just the fact that you're going to something that has a potential audience of millions, and then you're moving down to something that has a potential audience of hundreds of thousands. The drop off in viewership is going to be massive. Yeah, eighty percent in this case, and I'm surprised it wasn't more to be honest. And like ultimately you want eyes glued on your sport like that money i've always said it is kind of a law of diminishing returns when people are going to be tight they're going to be looking at things they can save and they'll be looking down and they'll be thinking hmm do i really need to spend this much money on sky sports or do i need to really spend all this money on on bt sport so i can watch my gp races when the internet exists or a lot of countries have video passes now for their sports coverage and they can, and they, and they yeah, can cut out like- the middleman in that sense um, like if if I was F one and like we'll get on to uh wow we haven't even moved on to the next point but like with the calendar getting larger and larger it might be in the sport's best interest to do what uh what Formula E is sort of doing where they have a separate championship within their championship with a set number of races but also tell the broadcasters those races in that you know European championship or like Masters championship have to be on free to air TV. Yeah, um, we're also getting some input from our, especially our American listeners who are listening in as we're recording this, like, now that all the cable providers have basically blackballed BN Sports, who are MotoGP's television provider in the United States. It's impossible to watch MotoGP! It's impossible to watch a motorcycle world championship. The best one! one. Yeah, arguably the best motorsport series on the planet right now. And, you know, a motorsport series that had a period historically that was dominated by Americans. Yeah. It's a sport that was a sport that had Americans coming through like M&Ms at one point and now it's virtually dead. Um yeah, it's it's sad. It is sad in that sense and they could be doing a lot better. So I I'm in complete agreement with 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 um the promoters on this one. Like you lose free to wear the sport dies a slow death. Um you you are not going to attract new fans by putting your sport behind a paywall. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, because yeah, that was like a part of IndyCar's new TV deal. That like one of the big selling points was they would get more races on free-to-air TV. Right. That's how you get fans. You, the, the channel hoppers, the guys that are going to give something a shot they wouldn't normally have to pay to watch. Like, if you're paying for a TV channel, you know what you want from that TV channel. Like... It, if any, all the hardcores that have paid for F1 behind the paywall know exactly what they're going to get. You're not going to expand your audience that way. No one's going to say, oh, let me pay 18 quid a month so I can see this F1 race I've been so curious about. It's not That doesn't happen. Consumers don't think like that. So, <laughs> you know, you, you've got to find a way to get your sport on free-to-air TV. Like, and... and Having the video pass isn't going to cut it either because in the UK, which is one of your biggest audiences, we can't have it. Well, not the full version anyway, which is what happens internationally where they can get everything out there. Um, and, you know, you get all the sessions and all the coverage and all the archive footage as well. We only get the archive footage in the UK. 
Um, and of yes. course, like the race review highlights after it's all been said and done, basically. Um, but I think based on what's what's there in the archival footage, it's actually that's that's a fair price. Oh, don't get me wrong. Giving for yeah, yeah. I'm not critical of the product itself. I'm just saying the nature of having to find stuff. Um, what about yes. that new Schumacher documentary that came out? Not to get off on too far of a tangent before we get to our second point. I've not seen this yet, actually. Yeah, I've not seen it yet. I had no idea it existed. Me neither. Yeah, F1 TV has a brand new documentary about the career of Michael Schumacher. I, I don't think any of us have seen it. Maybe by the time by the time we reconvene for episode 178, we should uh, give it a review. Good idea. Yes. Good idea. I've got time for Schumacher. That should be fun. Um, point two. Point two. There is lack of clarity on new initiatives in F1 and a lack of engagement with promoters on their implementation. So, this is where we go a bit off the rails. First point, it's something that affects pretty much everyone. I, and I have a feeling that's why they made it point number one, to get eyeballs on this document. Mm. This, the second and third points are a bit vague, and I was gonna say that. you have to be in the, you have to be in the know to really know what that means. Yeah, I was gonna say like point two. If you don't know what you're talking about, seems a tad vague. Um, like, so what new initiatives are they referring to here, King? So, in the rebuttal statement put out by the Russian Grand Prix promoter, uh, they haven't they haven't publicly revealed what those uh like initiatives and directions are one of which was announced today season launch event at the australian grand prix but pretty much the russian grand prix promoter said like liberty's been really transparent like there's no reason to be doing there's no reason to be axing for even more <laughs> hmm something's not quite right something doesn't quite add up here king yes <laughs> um like the uh the russian grand prix promoter literally called their criticisms toothless in the face of what liberty has been doing toothless wow mm. yep quote the statement is fairly toothless because all the issues indicated there in this statement uh they're being resolved in one way or another in the current format of communication with liberty i just think they were talking about the how to train your dragon series hey <laughs> i see i see what you did there um <laughs> i mean king where do you stand on this pretty vague point then uh, it's pretty much something that you could put out there to effectively say that X person is doing a bad thing, but not saying what that bad thing actually is, and then hoping that people come to their own conclusions. Whew. Yikes. That's, uh, that's a lot to take in. I mean... Yeah, so, uh, like, the Formula One Promoters Association are actually meeting with Liberty in London later this week and mm. the Russian Grand Prix promoter said like uh well not not only just the association but all the promoters are meeting in London and it and the Russian Grand Prix promoter said it was at the initiative of Liberty that all the promoters gathered in London specifically to discuss common matters with participation of with the participation of Liberty Media so it things don't make much sense when it comes to that second point yeah so like you're making this statement you disagree but you're all meeting up later in this week to discuss it anyway uh, okay That's nice like you guys are criticizing liberty for not being open and meeting with you guys days before you're meeting with liberty right 
again, this doesn't quite add up, does it? <laughs> uh, point number three. New races should not be introduced to the detriment of existing events, although the association is encouraged by the alternative business models being offered to prospective venues. Ooh, ooh, I think I know the impetus behind this one. <laughs> Go on, RJ. Well, it has something to do with uh, Will Smith, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, <laughs> Pitbull Mr. 305 himself, Hard Rock Stadium, the U, the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, it was the prospective race at Miami who are apparently being offered a par- profit share partnership rather than the more traditional model where races pay tens of million dollars for the rights to hold the event. Yeah, where you got to pay up front. <laughs> Yikes. So, in other words, they're, 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 uh, so in other words, like Liberty are taking more of a boxing model where it's like you just take a split of the pot on whatever this Grand Prix makes, basically, rather than the usual, you just pay your sanctioning fees like everybody else does and then hope for the best. Um, Yeah, so uh, pretty much, yeah, you described the Formula Formula 1 model up front, where not only do you have to build this world-class racing facility that's going to probably cost you in the hundreds of millions of dollars, you also have to pay tens of millions of dollars every year to uh, the to, you know, Formula One management beforehand to host the race. Um, you can see why you don't want to add even more to an initial investment. So Liberty Media thought, hey, that model's a bit outdated. Uh, they already have to do all this stuff to, to organize the race itself. How about if the race is successful, you gave us a cut of the profit. Uh, we'll, we'll say what percentage, we'll agree to a percentage beforehand, but you don't have to pay anything up front. <laughs> See, I'd like that idea if it was extended to all the other tracks. I mean, Lord knows every year when it seemed annually like every year was going to be the last year of the Italian Grand Prix, this point came up quite often with how much they had to pay at a time where Italy's economy was uh, not doing so great. Hmm. Yeah. That that makes a lot more sense than, than having, like, that's the thing. We noticed this with Silverstone last year when their race, the news that their race was in jeopardy. They started to bring up the simple fact that, well, guys, we haven't got any money in the bank, and they've got to pay Liberty Media or pay whoever was running the running the sport at the time, sanctioning fees up front. They literally couldn't afford yeah. to. They had to run the yeah, Grand Prix shoot, first. If could, shoot, if Silverstone could get like a profit share deal with how many people are showing up and how, considering how much they were willing to pay for tickets, one hundred and forty thousand yeah. and up to <laughs> six hundred quid a ticket. Like, hello? So, and it didn't help, by the way, the, the, well, I say previous contracts. They are the current contracts that were negotiated by Bernie, where uh, the sanctioning fee is set at an elevator scale. So each year, the sanctioning fee gets higher and higher and higher. Yeah, so uh, by that point, it's just more a sense of, it, it becomes harder and harder to run a Grand Prix. So, yeah, a profit share idea is an excellent idea. I'm stunned that hasn't come up more often. Um, or- but, like, yeah, the second part is a smart idea, but the first part is effectively uh, they don't want the race in mind. They don't want any new races. Yeah, I think... Because you know what? They're all scared of being pushed off the calendar. I mean, the calendar... It must be a little bit nerve-wracking, especially when you consider that Chase Carey has made it clear in the past. He wants 25 races. He wants he wants yep. an even bigger. I mean, we were already at bursting point at twenty one, 
Um, we've got 21 again this season. Well, that's been the, that's been for the last two seasons now. We've had 21 Grand Prix in a year. He wants 25. He made it quite clear when he first took over the sport. He wants 25 Super Bowls a year, basically. Uh, that was his... That- yeah, so, like, pretty much their dream idea of a calendar is... Uh, a Grand Prix every fortnight up until Spain, and then a Grand Prix every week up until the August break, and then back to a fortnightly schedule. Till Is the he end trying of the year. to kill the teams? Like I'm, I'm not even <laughs> exaggerating. I remember McLaren a few years ago saying that, hey, if we go beyond twenty, we might have to hire a second crew. Um, and well, that- like, funnily enough, there used to be second teams. Well, they were completely devoted to just running endless tests but yeah before you know before the ban on testing most of the major teams had second teams that's crazy um like it's, i get my fans want more races but that's too much like honestly i would by brazil this year i felt burnout and that's not just being a sebastian Vettel fan which is probably part of the reason why i'm not gonna lie <laughs> but but i felt burnt out by brazil when that was that was round 20 I was yeah, like, I don't, and even even like Liberty themselves know that burnout's a real thing. Where like they've been trialing the idea of having alternative race formats, um, mm. where like just to mix things up because the the old mentality of every race should be the exact same format, where you have you know standard qualifying, standard race, all the races are the exact same distance. Um, Maybe that was not the best format for Formula One, especially with the calendar getting bigger and bigger. Yeah, that's a very good point. And if you're one of the long-established tracks on the calendar, many of which are struggling, we've seen races like, obviously, Italy, Germany, Britain, historic venues that have been staple parts of the calendar for quite some time, seeing all the new boys rock up, the Russias, the, the Miamis, the, the Abu Dhabis in recent years... It must make you a little bit insecure about your future when they're actively talking about expanding, and you yeah, know. Yeah, think when about, they're think about Coda, they have to pay their race deal up front. Meanwhile, yeah, they, they have just to do a few hundred miles over eastward and down. <sighs> yeah, you, you get a profit you, share. Yeah, yeah, you get a profit share. Well, like a lot of the newer races, uh, lesser degree Coda, but uh, are government funded. So, like the reason why, like the Russian Grand Prix promoter like sees some issues but doesn't see them as large because his race is su- uh, like uh his race is subsidized by the Russian government so like the mm. sanctioning fees isn't that much of an issue to him uh for coda their their sanctioning fee is subsidized by the Texas state pension fund nice um well it's not it's subsidized they don't cover the whole thing well <laughs> King, you got, got to put more in your pension then, haven't we? Yes, keep... We've got to keep Cota alive. We need Mark Marquez to get a celebratory win every year. We all know this is important. Take one for the team, for God's sake. Um, move to Texas. Move to Texas. But, yeah, I mean... There's no doubt about it. They're they're expanding. They're, they're, they're clearly experimenting. I mean... We've had talk. That, I mean, we're getting a Grand Prix in Vietnam next year for Christ. They're expanding. It's obvious they want to. They still want to tap into more venues. And if you're Liberty, it's in your best interest to bend over backwards to try and get these new teams on the calendar, on these new countries on the calendar, one way or another. If you if you think they're cutting Vietnam the same deal they're cutting Silverstone, I think you're lying to yourselves. So 
Well, know. Vietnam, I th- I think Vietnam would be a special case because you know it's deal with Vietnam's government. So I assume ah. they're they're paying a pretty penny, mm. just like how uh, pretty like Malaysia's race was subsidized by the Malaysian government and their state-owned oil company Petronas, uh, and pretty they had the lowest ticket prices on the calendar by a mile they were losing money yeah they were malaysia's tickets were like 90 quid for the whole weekend they were dirt cheap um ridiculously cheap um so yeah there's a lot to unpack here king but like i just find it weird timing given they've got another meeting coming up literally probably by the time this goes out um they have already done said meeting like what were they trying to do in putting this statement out like literally three or four days before they're meeting up for a massive conference with Liberty anyway? Uh, Trying to pressure... Like, my guess is trying to pressure Liberty to renegotiate everyone's contract. If I'm not mistaken, I think Jenny Gal pointed this out as well. I think four or five guys are out of contract at the end of the season. Yes, uh, including a couple big ones. Uh, Britain... Uh, obviously Britain. Oh, shit. Uh, I think Italy, Germany, and Mexico. Ooh, a couple of big ones on there. Well, Mexico has become a bit of a staple round in recent years because of how, because of the, how brilliant the turnout is. Um, yeah, there's some big ones on the table there. Um, some big ones. But uh, yeah, I, I guess they want to put put the pressure on Liberty to do something about it and you know get some new deals on the table, which is going to be interesting and seeing and where they go from there but uh rj before we get into the rolex 24 and i shut up for half an hour um, <laughs> um <laughs> tell us about the other winning sebastian oh yes um sebastian oj as it turns out he's very good at driving rally cars this is why he's won uh one two three four five six world titles in a row is that right king yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I think he started well on his way to a seventh because in his first drive back with Citroen for the first time since 2011, um, Sebastian Auger did win the season opening Rally Monte Carlo ahead of his, what you know, it is two title antagonists from the year before. Thierry Noyville finishing second for Hyundai and Oit Tanet finishing third for Toyota. Sebastian Loeb just off the podium in his Hyundai debut in fourth place. Yeah. Um, and that's like after a rough two weeks in in Peru. Oh yeah. Oh goodness. <laughs> yeah, where his uh, his co-driver Daniel Elena almost quit the event. Wait, hang on. For those of us who didn't who aren't aware, how did this end up happening? <laughs> oh well, uh, Sebastian Loeb ended up in the precarious situation where he had a deal to race in the Dakar before he had a deal to race at Monte Carlo. Mm. Uh, he had to run both. So essentially two weeks, uh, two weeks of cross country, the hardest cross country rally in the world in, in Peru. Then uh, the next weekend, you got to be in Monte Carlo for your first rally at Hyundai. Uh, and he had a very, very rough time in Peru to say the least. He got a couple stage wins, but that, but that was, you know, the the sunshine after the storm. Yikes! That's a lot. Also, I'm noticing final margin of victory from OJ to Neuville was just 2.2 seconds after 16 stages, and I believe uh, the difference between the two drivers in the in the 
the sixteenth and final power stage was just one point eight seconds between the two, with OJ uh, ahead by less than two seconds in a power stage that easily could have decided the overall standings of the rally. That's uh, not power stage that. Yeah, a power stage, by the way, that Chris Meek won in his very first outing for Toyota. Um, and also, shout-out to Stefan Sarazan finishing ninth in a R5 Hyundai. As you do. <laughs> yes, that's Stefan Sarazan. And in an R5 car, which is a, basically, what, WRC2, essentially? Yikes. That's that's crazy. Well on Sarazan. Um, and well on Sebastian Ogier there for winning a razor-thin rally in Monte Carlo. Fun times for all involved. Right, without further ado, I'm going to shut up for the next half hour or so. There'll be some more Daytona music playing in the background, because after this break, it is time for the Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona. Let's go away. <laughs> For the first 14 hours, it looked like the Rolex 24 was probably going to be one of the best of the unified era of IMSA. And then Florida weather. It's awful. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. No. <sighs> well, someone someone here had experienced that firsthand. <laughs> oh. Hi, Chris. <laughs> you know, what's really bad is that I come from the rain in Daytona, you know, we should play Toto Africa. I bless the rains <laughs> down in Daytona. You know, I come from the rains down in Daytona, and then um, I fly up here, and the, I see a weather alert on my phone. It's going to be cold as hell in Indianapolis this week. <laughs> Wait, let me, look, here's the thing. Chicago is supposed to be colder than Antarctica in a couple of days. What? <laughs> What? <laughs> yes, negative 40 degrees Fahrenheit, which is actually also negative 40 degrees Celsius. What is the, the, fuck? the that That's what the wind chill is supposed to be. I mean, oh. as it stands right now on my Apple Watch, it is 17 degrees. The low is negative 9, but I don't know what the wind chill is. <laughs> what? What? Yep. Get, ready. Get ready for some hard time. We're going to die. So we... <laughs> oh, goodness. So, um... We had a uh, we had not a Google Hangout because uh, Google stopped supporting Google Hangouts. Oh, why Google? This will put uh, we will have plans for Day of Classics for Turbo Edition. Yeah, uh, yeah, there will be video for the Day of Classics. I'm working on it. Okay, so um, so in our in the midst of our Hangout, um, Jason Jason Poland, one of our longtime listeners and patron backers, worked out, and in this 24 hour race, we had. Three hours and 42 minutes spent at a red flag, including the final red flag period, which ultimately 
end of the race. We had six hours and 57 minutes under full course yellow, and most of that was under conditions that were too wet to race on to have 10 hours and 39 minutes of non-racing in a 24, uh, well, 23-hour and 50-minute race. Yikes. It was a rough time. Uh, when when Roger Penske says these are the worst conditions he's ever seen, um, you know it was bad. <laughs> Roger Penske first showed up here in 1969. And I tell you also that uh, Porsche factory driver Lawrence Banthor, a ver who by his own admission says he was very old school, said didn't like the new runoffs at Porsche Curves when he, at, at Le Mans, you know, the race that he won in the GTLM class. Yeah. When even he is saying, I don't want to drive in anything like this ever again. <laughs> That's pretty bad. By the uh, way, we should also... We could tell, like... Go ahead, Chris. I said we should also note, Roger Penske spent all 24 hours on the pit box, and he is <laughs> old. How did he pull that off? I'll, I'll bring up a point. I'll bring up a point here. Um, I have with me, listening on the show, my friend Vince, who's visiting from Connecticut, um, who has not seen a 24-hour endurance race, and even he could tell that... Um, this was bad. Was was that right? Um, I thought it was a boating sport, uh, twenty four hour at the end of the race. <laughs> yeah, we had we had we had multiple lakes at Daytona, not just. I Lloyd. didn't even I didn't even know we had an audience watching this live on the show in the taping. That's that's brilliant. Hi, Lloyd. <laughs> I'm so sorry if I've scared you off. <laughs> no, that's fine. Oh man. Um yeah. This was uh this was an ideal weather to say the least. It No, not ideal. It it it, it seemed it, that the impending rain seemed like something that was always off in the distance that was going to happen because I think like 2 or 3 hours in they're like yeah, we're going to get uh rain from about 5 a.m. for the duration of the race afterwards. And kind of it threw up a qu like questions like are these cars really going to be as... Are, are the fast cars still going to be fast cars when the rain comes down? Or are we going to have new fast cars? Well, as it turns out, the fast cars were just the ones that could hold it together. And uh, in the last few minutes of uh, actual green flag racing that we got, uh, there were not a lot of cars that could hold it together. Oh, God. But, uh... To win the race, first you need to finish, and we need to talk about the cars that didn't even make it to the rain. Oh, God. <laughs> um, Oliver Jarvis of Mazda set a new Daytona track record, an official Daytona track record in qualifying with a 1 minute 33.8. Uh, Previous track record, which had stood since 1993, was a 133.9. Um, that car made it all of 220 laps, before one of the exhaust valves dropped into the engine oh. block and caused the whole thing to go oh, oh lord less than seven hours into the race and loyal patriot backer cameron buckley tried to warn us all including no it's like this will be the year that mazda puts it all together nope Nope, a spectacular blowout. Uh, yep, but unfortunately they couldn't break the record for highest recorded temperature at Daytona. That is still held by Juan Pablo Montoya. <laughs> Sweaty. Uh. <laughs> so, I, I guess we all know why we're here, and that's to coronate. Uh, that's to that's the preamble to the triple coronation. 
<laughs> oh, here we go. Uh, yes, that's right. Ranger Vanderzanda, Jordan Taylor, Kamui Kobayashi, and the second greatest driver in the world, Fernando Alonso, driving the Konica Minolta Cadillac DPIBR at 593 laps and less than 22 hours of total time, won the race by a final margin of 13.4 seconds. Ooh. Their and second win at this event, Wayne Taylor Racing, the second win in the last three years. Now, since since the said victory, I've seen a lot of heated debate on the internet. Is Fernando Alonso the greatest driver of all time? No! Uh, Piss <laughs> off! We're not, we're not doing this! Like, I was mad enough after the Autosports Top 50, don't step me off again! No, 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 and no! A lot of, <laughs> we're not and a lot this. of people and the other debate um was there i mean it's like just a series of this alonzo related debates on whether one did was alonzo carried to the victory or not uh was alonzo the best driver in the car uh did alonzo get the race stopped early did it it seems like this has just created more Alonso-related drama. Can I tell you that um, I actually have the answer to the question of whether or not he was carried. Um, now, the B-Pillar on Twitter, that's uh, the B-Pillar, um, runs uh, driver performance analysis for every major endurance sports car race. Uh, Fernando Alonso was the third fastest driver in the car of the four people in there, which doesn't sound all that impressive until you realize that the top three in that car... Jordan Taylor, Kamui Kobayashi, and Fernando Alonso were all in the top eight of a field of more than 40 people. And, like, based on, like, the number of stints and laps people did, it seemed like the workhorse of the number 10 was Jordan Taylor. Jordan Taylor had the most time in the car out of anyone. Jordan Taylor is a beast. That is all. And still funny as hell. <sighs> Yeah, I, yeah I don't care your feelings on Fernando Alonso and his presence and how he overshadowed most of the event. That's fine. I don't care. If you hate Jordan Taylor at this point, I'm pretty much <laughs> convinced you're you you are a you are a feelingless cyborg. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, literally everyone loves Jordan Taylor. He's the man. Um, yeah, jeez, like I, I had people like I had people in my Instagram asking me like. Does this make Alonso the best driver ever? And I'm, I didn't even answer. I was, I was I was that disgusted. I was like, people, you know me better than this. I don't know. I feel like uh, Kamui Kobayashi's work, especially overnight, that that has to get some love. Oh god, yeah. I mean, here's a here's another. F1 alumnus, uh, someone who uh, recently announced that he's going to be cutting back his schedule. No Super GT. He's just going to be focusing on Super Formula and WEC, and he wants to win the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Now he has a Daytona win to his arsenal. And he did really well this race, I thought, especially overnight, and especially when it started to rain. Yeah, and it, like, it... The, the first, I would say... 12 hours of the race, it felt like it really felt like none of the Cadillacs were really in contention. It felt like it was going to be, obviously, one of the two Mazas. We already discussed what happened to them. But, Penske! Acura Penske, what happened? Yeah. Um, Acura Penske had their cars trimmed out for top speed, which was very good in dry conditions, and especially around the oval section of Daytona. 
Um, but once it's starting to wet it up, and even after they try to add downforce back in the car with adjustments, I don't know what happened. It, it's and, and to be fair, it's not like they weren't trying. You know, they had an alternate strategy going. The uh, the Elio and Rossi and Ricky Taylor car, the number seven, was in contention, and so was the number six of Montoya, Pagano, and Cameron before they hit mechanical trouble with uh, with a few hours left in the race as well. Yeah. And uh, I think we also need to discuss the closest car to defeating the number 10. Man, it, it felt like it, it felt like maybe Felipe Nasr was going to get one over on Fernando Alonso. Yeah. Uh, the reference late in the race in the last few minutes of uh, Green Flag 1, we had Felipe Nasr, Fernando Alonso, and Alexander Rossi running together like it's late 2015 in Formula 1. And Felipe Nazar, according to the B-Pillar's numbers, was the fastest driver over his fastest 15 laps of the race. By a good margin over the second place man, Mazet's Olivier Pla. But all anybody wanted to talk about was how Felipe Nazar overshot the first corner by a good 50 feet and let Alonso through to take effect oh. of the race. Yeah, because two laps later, what that's when the last yellow would come out and then become a red flag and then race over. God damn it, Nasa! Uh, Up to and that I point, think, you driven brilliantly. But... And, I, like, a lot of people were rough on him, but one person that was really very, very understanding was John Heindahl, where he described, because of the change in conditions... Uh, and the high-speed entry into Turn 1 and the fact that it's essentially... Uh, a sea of a sea of like differently aged tarmac at with the rain turn one was a different turn every time you entered the corner yeah we're gonna imagine all the runoff and whatnot that's gonna be havoc so just that one time uh just just that one time going wide was enough to win fernando alonso and the number 10 the race because it just left the door wide open and nasr didn't have enough time to recover and then effect race over. Yeah. Do you realize, though, that Fernando Alonso came very, very close to being taken out of the race by the car that won the LMP2 class, which had spun right yeah. in front of him? <laughs> yeah. Yikes. There were, there were dangers everywhere. He could be taken out at any possible moment by a runoff car because while the prototype, while, like, yeah, while the DPIs were fairly safe, none, none of them had a really massive off in the rain all the other classes it was a different story yeah lmp2 became basically a war of survival there were only four cars and you know ultimately one of them did become uh the one that didn't finish and didn't therefore didn't get on the podium but uh dragon speed racing won this it seemed it's going to be an indy car very soon you might know a couple of the names in the car former indy car driver sebastian vedra and past F1 Grand Prix winner, Pastor Maldonado. Yes, Pastor Maldonado, Rolex 24 class winner. Say it with your chest, King. Pastor Maldonado <laughs> won the Rolex 24 class on his debut. Uh, things may be going to hell in a handbasket in Venezuela, but at least they have to be proud of that. <laughs> That's a hell of... What a sentence that is! That's amazing! <laughs> what was... <laughs> and here's the thing, he was the cleanest
witnessed LMP2, Triver. Everybody made the jokes going in. <laughs> no mistakes. No mistakes. For what is driver. wrong with you people? Why are you trying so hard to get us taken off the air? <laughs> I swear. Like... King, have you been feeding him your uh, your secret sauce? Is that it? <laughs> no, but I know this is going in every highlight reel from now to the end of time. Oh, Jesus. God. Oh, wonderful. Um, I think we could also talk about um, Core Autosport with the Nissan because they were basically having to program their computer algorithms on the fly in a race. Their first race with a car that they had bought like a month and a half to two months ago. Uh, somehow, out of all this, they finished fourth, which was very impressive considering, uh, in the wet conditions, two-time Lama winner Roman Duma packed it into a tire barrier. When it's catching out dudes like that, you know the weather's bad. You mean the M101 secret approval fantasy pick from Matt Roman Dumas? Yes. What a boy. Oh dear. <laughs> Not ideal. Uh, should we <laughs> should we move it to some uh, GT base classes? Yes, cause my boys had a bad day. <laughs> oh, Corvette racing. Um, <laughs> Corvette racing. Um, Porsche. They all had bad days, but um, I think we need to talk about uh, BMW. Because they did end up winning the race, and it was big mate. Of course, BMW. Yes, big mate was always going to be a talking point because, of course, they had um, four-time Paralympic gold medalist and two-time IndyCar champion Alex Zanardi in one of their cars. But uh, and they also have the son of his former teammate in one in one of the cars yes. too. Yes, they did. <laughs> On Friday afternoon, uh, BMW got some very bad news with the passing of. Charlie Lamb, who was the head of BMW Team Schnitzer and one of the architects of BMW Motorsport, who actually, in his last race before retirement in November, won the GT World Cup in Macau with Augusto Farfus, who was drafted in to replace Dom Blumquist because Blumquist couldn't get his visa sorted out. Because uh, So obviously, BMW now racing with heavy hearts in a car that they weren't sure was going to be competitive enough to win the race. And at the end of the 24 hours... All of a sudden, Colton Herta, Connor Filippi, Philip Eng, and Augusto Farfus had won Big Mate's first role at 24. Get in there. And that and had play. and that had to feel good for everybody at the team. Yeah, was, yeah, because as already described, like this is not a good weekend, and obviously uh, the Big Mate is not. It's not suitable for Daytona. Really? <laughs> what gave it away, really? Not because it not because it would take up the entire width and volume of the track. <laughs> for for other reasons. For other reasons. As you do. Um, <laughs> I love that like BMW won and we're still like at the same time kinda shitting on them. It's great. <laughs> Because that, that's big. That's big, mate. <laughs> I don't know though, because um, because again, I do have the B pillar numbers up. Colton Herta was the second fastest driver in the class between Nick Tandy and Lawrence Vanthor, who, if those Damn, Porsches hadn't <laughs> run into trouble, you know, they probably would have ran away with this race. Did we yeah. forget to mention that Colton Herta is still just eighteen years old? <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. 
I feel so old. <laughs> can't wait for Colton Hurd to make his debut in IndyCar. I can't wait for his nuts to drop, like puberty style. Like, how, like come on, no, man. like he he literally like Colton Hurd literally said this Rolex is now the most expensive thing I own. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. That's a brilliant line. Reminds me of when oh. Pato Award won in the Prototype Challenge class a couple of years ago. He still hadn't graduated high school yet by the time he won that thing. <laughs> oh my god! I even told him on the phone you should have worn that to class the first day back after you uh, won the Rolex. He said, "No, I put that thing in the closet." <laughs> he's get, you know, no, no, if he's doing that, he's getting jacked. They're like, they're like, he, he's, he's not leaving the school block alive. That is going to get flipped for like a yeah. blue eyes white dragon and like and, a, and like a, a, a like a small bag of weed. Like there Here's is. Just, knows better. Here's what's, let's let's make this even better. Colton hurt his car owner was Brian Herda's car owner back when he started out getting successful in cars. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so I asked Brian, Bobby Rahal after the race, you know, what do you see in Colton that reminds you of Brian? Well, they're very, very similar in the driving style. Hell, they even sound alike. <laughs> yeah, they do sound they alike. Do. It's funny how that happens. <laughs> yeah, and of course, um, Alex with the uh, with the 25 team, no, they didn't, uh, they didn't fare as well as the eventual class winners, but what a story, as a uh, friend of the podcast, Oni Zeno pointed out. Um, Zanardi never stopped smiling or signing autographs or talking or posing for pictures with fans and paddock regulars or maximizing the moment as best as he could as any circumstance he was in. Um, his commitment to this race was nothing short of incredible. This was something that was in the works for years. And to see him work the, uh, work the hand controls of his car where... With his left hand, he was steering and operating the throttle on the steering wheel. And with his right hand, there's a lever that controls uh, the braking and the downshifts of his car. And seeing him work like that as if it had been second nature to him was just fantastic. Amazing. It's like, the man is a hero. There is no other way to describe him. He is a walking yeah. hero. It's like they... There, there were, there, it was great to see there were a bit of headaches early on due to the hand controls, unfortunately. Yeah, they uh, tried to install the steering wheel, and the steering wheel wouldn't take, so they had to get him a second steering wheel. Yeah, and uh, there were moments in time where the, the car would just, the electronics would just fail in the car. So, like, the car would just shut down on pit exit. Yikes. But they made it. Yeah, they made it. That's that's the most important part. They made it. They made Shout outs it. as well to the 67 uh, casserole board of uh, Richard Westbrook, Ryan Briscoe, and defending five-time IndyCar Series champion Scott Ditson would have had the strategy to win the race if the race had actually restarted. <laughs> Instead, they don't even finish on the podium for their trouble. Yep. You, you mean Dixon uh, couldn't just like fuel save his way to winning this one? God damn it! <laughs> I think that was one. I think that was a strategy they had in mind. They went off sequence and pitted just before the uh, the race turned red. Yeah, but they I, were they were prepared. They were prepared to run the rest of the distance without it stopping. But yeah, the race stopped. It's like the race beat us to it on this one. Unfortunately, lads, bad luck. <laughs> They weren't the only ones to lose the lead very late in GT, though, were they? Oh, goodness. I, 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 goodness, I may have missed a few spots. Because um, I know uh, I know there's two different GT classes and one we're yet to talk about. So, GT Daytona, I think if we're going to talk about tripping over ourselves, losing the lead late in the oh, race. Oh, no, GT. Uh-oh. <laughs> in the wet, 
GT Daytona became pure chaos, where pretty much, if you were in the lead, you were guaranteed to lose the lead. Should I not point out that GT Daytona is the GT3 class? only class that has driver aids like traction control <laughs> oh fun oh good that did clearly <laughs> so we had in the last i want to say it was like 45 minutes before the red flag came out the number 33 riley motorsports mercedes amg was leading then i think they had a um went really wide in turns one and two which allowed the monoplast by land audi into the lead and then I think they went wide at turns one and two. Oh, no, I think they went off um, also at the bus stop, too. Yeah, I think they spun and got temporarily beached in the uh, the very, very wet grass they did at one point. Yeah, they, they got beached actually coming on the pit road, actually. So both of them went off, which meant that the number 11 grasser team racing, grasser racing team, GRT Lamborghini, got into the lead. And they stayed there for the rest of the race winning the GT Daytona Clash for the second year in a row. That's two years in a row for this Lamborghini team when, this time a year ago, Lamborghini had not won a significant endurance race. And now they've won Daytona two years in a row. Can I also shout out Christian Engelhart, uh, months after being dropped by Lamborghini as a factory driver for breaking an onboard camera after a block pan <laughs> series race, and then he wins Rolette's Daytona. Of course. <laughs> Can I also shout out, uh, Dre, your boy, Townsend Bell, got a podium. The Lord of the Flat Caps. Yes. Go on, Townsend Bell. Along, My Flat Caps springboard cross-bodied favorite. Oh. <laughs> yes. T-Bell won. T-Bell got a podium. Uh, Aaron Tielitz was also there. Hard luck, Aaron Tielitz from Indy Lights. I think he's going to have a lot of fun in uh, sports cars. If you were wondering where the Caterpillar, Acura, the, the all-female crew of Legs, De Silvestro, Beatrice, and Nielsen finished, they were 13th in class. Um, didn't quite up, uh, didn't quite have the luck to back up their pace at the uh, the John before the Big One, um, the Roar before the 24, but still finished the race, and that was really good to see. Yeah, it was a bit yeah things didn't turn out their way not only did they have pace at the roar they had pace in qualifying they had pace during the early section of the race but as endurance racing does sometimes things happen and things get completely taken out of your hands <laughs> oh dear oh dear and of course how can we forget um of course the race went back to green after the first red flag and then immediately three gt daytona cars just watered up heading to um yeah the in the trioval at the start finish line yeah not turn one <laughs> jesus yeah, again this is the uh this is the pro-am category in cars that are built towards amateur drivers and the only cars that have driver aids oh my god just like forces, sometimes with driver aids, people just people still make mistakes. Just a sad, you know. It's pretty crazy. Dre, you be... didn't catch any of this. Race. Sadly, I, I I did a I had a uh, fifteen hour work shift on the Sunday, so that was going to be my peak watching time. I just couldn't. I just did not have the time to get around to it this year, unfortunately. Well, you wouldn't have seen much racing anyway. I know, right? It's like it turns out I didn't actually miss all that much. <laughs> You'd have thought it. <laughs> 
would it be would it be a stretch to say that probably the most entertaining portion of this race during the red flags was the Magnus Racing webcast? Yes. <laughs> what am I missing here? Magnus Racing is a GT Daytona team, and every year for the last ten years, they've done a twenty-four hour webcast from their pit box with uh, Sean Heckman. Uh, and some of their drivers, uh, Sean being the co-host of uh, another podcast that talks about racing, and they have dinner while doing it, and they do all sorts of crazy stunts. And one time, NBC Sports actually went into their pit box with Jan Bikas, and Sean Heckman heckled them with a bullhorn. Oh, I did! I, I saw that clip. Yikes! <laughs> <laughs> this racing webcast was cool, and. Uh, Riley's on the moon. <laughs> oh my goodness. Can I also say that NBC Sports did pretty good for their first week? I mean, yeah, you had to, once you got past the uh, graveyard shift hours where you had Rick Allen and Paul Tracy as a commentary duo, um, the rest of it, especially with Lee Diffie and Calvin Fish carrying the broadcast, that was solid. Of course, during the, uh, the red flag hours, it turned into the 24 hours of Rutledge as in Wood, who has left more of an impact as a toast of Top Gear than that one dude from TFI Friday did. <laughs> oh, dear. Though, briefly back into GTLM, we have to talk about uh, Corvette. Corvettes didn't do the Corvette thing today. <laughs> well, that day. Yeah, they ran into each other in the pits. The team that has more experience and more race preparation than anybody in the category tripped over each other in pit lane. Magnificence. And then of course and then of course one of their cars just kind of skidded into a free fall into a tire barrier at the midpoint of the race. Yeah. Oh dear. <laughs> Discord does not like us retreading the Corvette situation. You do realize it's like a king you've angered the Discord. <laughs> but they'll be they'll be back and better than ever at Sebring. It's not the same king and you know it. <laughs> hey, hey. We're not going to be saying this when Jan Magnussen, Antonio Garcia, and Mike Rockefeller win both the 1000 miles of Sebring and the 12 hours of Sebring in one race weekend. Oh, guys, things are going to change. Yeah, those threes are basically intending to live that entire Super Sebring weekend like long-distance truck drivers. <laughs> the only sad thing about that weekend for them is I mean, they can't do it all in the same exact car. <laughs> yep, they got to use different cars. <laughs> they, they can't cut out a section of their Corvette to sleep in the back of. There are no uh, pilot Flying J truck stops in the perimeter of Sebring International Raceway. It's like, yep, just like, just Magnuson behind the wheel, Rockefeller sleeping in the truck, because <laughs> that's the only place they can cut space out in. We bring this up as we have an actual long-distance truck driver <laughs> listening to the show. Hello, Black and Mild. Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Oh, dear. Oh. Um, all in all, I'd say it was a... It was an alright time. First 13 hours were great. Last 11 were... Eh. It happens. You, you can't win them all. But yeah, every, every hour on track, 
was exciting, though. Would you say you would have enjoyed it more than watching the 2017 Daytona 500 as a family like we did that one time? Hmm. I forgot I was... I, I wasn't there, so I'm glad I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> so, much, so, so much for that family shit, then, you in it? <laughs> King's the black sheep of the family. Who'd have thought it? But yeah, I, I honestly, I'd take this Rolex 24 over a lot of Formula 1 Grand Prix over last season. I can probably imagine, to be fair. Because, to be fair, yeah. it, it did sound ridiculous up until that point. And here's the best part, Andre. You can actually watch the entire 2019 Rolex 24 on YouTube in a couple of days when IMSA posts <laughs> it on their official YouTube channel. Really? <laughs> yes. yes, you can. They do it. They have done it over the past couple of years. You know, it's a minor thing you're doing that. With Ray Lamont commentaries, you'll be able to hear the sweet, amazing tones of John Heindhaw and Jeremy Scholl. <laughs> Adam Johnson's former boss. <laughs> <laughs> and and even our host Emeritus couldn't will Corvette racing to a win. Oh, man. <laughs> Just think, uh, the endurance sports car racing section of the M101 Collective gets to do this all over again next week when we go to Bathurst and the only race that starts in the graveyard shift of the morning, the 12 hour. Yeah, that's a weird 12 hour race to start. We're starting at midnight, guys. We're just here to see Katsumasa Chio and Tsujio Matsuda win it for KCMG Nissan. Let's be, Let's real. be real. Now I'm here for the supercars all stars. <laughs> Who's this? Who's this? You? <laughs> how? See, see, this is how you know King's the black sheep of the family. He's only thinking about himself. What a selfish man! What's wrong with you, King? <laughs> What's going into you? <laughs> are you? Are you still upset about Corvette? Is that it? Little bit. <laughs> I I have nothing to be upset right. about. All all of my favorites won. Ah oh, dear. Shall I wrap this up, fellas? Shall I, shall, I, shall, I, shall I step back into the box here and uh, and wrap this bad boy up? Well, one thing I do want to bring up, and I think this should be brought up because of uh, how late this deal came together. Three and a half months ago, Lexus teamed up with Aim Vasher Sullivan to run a GT Daytona, and on debut, they got a third place in class. Yeah, that was that uh, T-Bell podium we were mentioning. Uh, Townsend Bell and a team that was three and a half months old. Pretty impressive stuff. And especially when you consider that it was Aaron Tealis' first uh, sports car race ever, and you had Townsend Bell in his first full season in IMSA car, uh, racing since 2015. And uh, I had a chance to talk to Townsend and also to Aaron after the race, and Aaron was very, very happy, and Townsend was very, very happy after he decided to roast me on my choice of wardrobe. See, Chris... <laughs> Roasted by Needs Wait, would you like me to read you what he told me? <laughs> Go on, what, did he, what did he tell you? All right, so I asked him, you know, how how does this make you feel? You know, getting a third place result here on this on debut, and he and this is exactly what he told me. Uh, a lot better than your glasses look right now. You could tell how, I mean, your glasses... Well, first of all, your outfit's ridiculous. I don't know what you were thinking. But your glasses <laughs> helped me realize what my teammate, Jess Siegel, had to deal with the last two and a half hours in horrendous conditions. Oh, my God. Chris just got ripped to you also. Holy shit. <laughs> get roasted by an NBC Sports commentator. I, 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 
I'm, I'm, surpri- I'm surprised you didn't just respond, Chris, with "Thank you, another." <laughs> Holy shit! To be fair, that was—I didn't use that uh, response in the story I was writing, but I—I I am going to get paid for the article that's going to go up with his quote in it. So I, I took Brilliant. solace in that. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Oh, that is a beautiful <laughs> self FIFA. If I ever, if I have ever seen one, that is uh, magnificent. I, I will, I will say this, um, Townsend Bell, you are, uh, you are a master at turning a phrase. So you know what? I don't mind being roasted by him because he was a really awesome interview and he was great fun to talk to. Ah, uh, beautiful, beautiful stuff. Um, so, like Chris, just before we go, where can we find your written stuff one more time? Because obviously, there's going to be bound to have a lot of stuff on this after, after the aftermath of this race. <laughs> So I did most of a uh, online recap at motorsportstribune.com. Don't put www in front of it because the website won't show up. Um, however, from the weekend, I did get five articles for IndyCar.com. So there are a few that are up now. There are a couple more that are yet to be posted, um, including one about one that got posted was about Yunkos Racing and how they built their first Cadillac DPI in just nine days and didn't make any mistakes while doing it. Um, by the way, shout out to Yinko's Racing for actually managing to finish up their uh, Rolex 24 in the first ever sports car race. After, of course, Ricardo Yinko's ran a Mazda Miata at the runoffs back a couple of years ago at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. But we don't talk about that. Indeed. So, mm-hmm. you can find all of Chris's good work there. Keep an eye on it. And, of course, keep an eye on the YouTube channel in the coming weeks and months as IndyCar gets started in... Well, just about a month's time now, actually. Jesus, it's just coming around really quick. I think only five or so weeks left until IndyCar is back in your lives again. But, uh, King, final thoughts on the Rolex 24, my friend? Um, I think I'm being taken away by the Spanish police right now. So. <laughs> Look, if the fashion police didn't get me, I think you're going to be fine. <laughs> no, no, from Spain. They're coming for me for my comments. De- detrimental to Fernando Alonso. Of, like of, of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. RJ, any any last closing thoughts? Um, it certainly wasn't the best of Rolex 24s by the end of it. I would back up again. Watch the first 13 hours. You had multiple manufacturers involved in the victory. And before the race got all soggy and wet and moist and uh, just kind of icky, um, this is one of the better races, and I think IMSA has a good, good season ahead of them to come. Fin- and also go Fernando Alonso. Oh. Go get that 8,500 win in there. Oh. This is going to be an infuriating four months. Right. Yeah, and yeah. Also, one last comment from Fernando Alonso that he's fifty-fifty on whether he will actually be returning to the WEC. Oh wow! Uh, oh, that's fine. I mean, to be fair, he's already done the job, and everybody's kind of wanting to get out of the WEC these days. Yeah, he, he, as Cam put in the Discord, he got what he wanted. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, next, as in, in the words of Ariana Grande. Um, but uh, that'll just about do it for this week's episode of Motorsport 101. We'll be back in a couple of weeks' time to review Barfirst. Yay. And I think by that point, we'll be getting the first of the F1 car launches as well, because I think Toro Rosso is yeah, the 11th. We've got, we've got F1 car launches coming up. We have Daytona Speedways, I guess, if anyone wants to talk about that. Probably not. Yeah, we have the, uh, the W Series. Uh, starting to cut down their list. I don't think... It was not worth talking about this week, but yeah, we'll put it on next yeah. week's show. 
well, two Indeed. weeks. But we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time. Basically, you can find us one more time, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101, Twitter at, um, at motorsport underscore 101, and, um, and our personal handles, you can find us at Harrison101HD, at RJ O'Connell, at Ryan Eric King, and at C the Harday. Check him out on YouTube as well, YouTube channel Christopher the Harday. You can back us financially on Patreon if you really like us, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. $5 gets you early access to both of this show and Bike Live. Bike Live will be back next week, by the way, to, for a full review of the Sepang test as well, as Honda is still trying to figure out how they, if they can actually form one combined fully healthy rider. Um, that should be fun to keep an eye on in the, indeed. So let that be back. Me and Lewis, roughly next weekend by the time you're listening to this. About a week from now, by the time it goes out, I would say, by the time this episode goes out. So more of that soon. It's like we're alternating between Bike Live and M101 week on week. We did that by accident, but it kind of works. Hey, who's complaining? <laughs> we'll, we'll be back. So at- you, still get a sh- you still get a show every week. Indeed. What's, what's not to love? Um, so all of that. If you back us at the $10 level, you can get into our Discord Supporters Club, where you can listen to these shows live as they go out. Shout out, as always, to Black and Mild, to, to Cam Buckley, to Steve as well, for always contributing in the Discords. Always much appreciated um, in there, as always. Now, don't forget, as well, we do now have a free section in there as well. We're very active on there as well. A lot of guys have already joined in. If you want in on that section of the Discord, um, we've also got some exclusive channels for special events. We had a, we had a quote, real Roval by Rolex exclusive uh, server and obviously hang out during the Rolex 24. We'll be doing more of those as the year goes on. If you want in on the on the, on the Motorsport 101 Discord server, formerly known as the Sinbin, um, just message any one of us, uh, me, RJ and, and King, on any of our social media and we will hook you up, no problem. And of course, you can find all those all that information and all our written pieces as well, including my full Formula One 2018 season review and another piece coming out very soon from me about narratives that just won't die in Formula One. I wanted to do something a bit more fun this week, and I, that's my plan. That'll be out probably but the weekend. But uh, all of that and much more, motorsport101.com, our website. I've been Andre Harrison. They have been Ryan King, RJ O'Connell, and Christopher the Harday. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back in a fortnight's time. Sayonara. Later, y'all. See you. Bye. That was the most awkward b- goodbye ever, King. Like, like you, 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 one, you've won up yourself. Two, like RJ is going to get us killed by the Venezuelans. It's like, nah, nah, nah. Things, things are gonna be good. They, they don't really have a government right now to come after us. So I think we're in to the be clear. They don't have food to feed their people either. So what are they gonna do? <laughs> oh God. <laughs>